This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. to Mark chapter number 10. We're continuing in our series in Mark. These are the times when you preach through books of the Bible. Uh, it's texts like this that make you start second guessing um, whether you're going to preach through books of the Bible. And the reason why is because when you run into chapters like this, you start running through all of the reasons why if you were just picking a text uh, out of to encourage the body, uh, this would be a hard one to do so, and this is why a lot of of, um, of our preaching here at Redemption Church is done going through books of the Bible. We can't dodge what God's Word says, so what we really want to hear today is what is God's heart, what is God's Word in this. So it's a great practice for us, and one in which I'm thankful after doing the study this week that we uh, landed on it. We just finished all summer going through marriage classes, so thankful for all of those who have committed to do that. And so if you're new with us today, we didn't just pick this text out of a hat. We're all, all the congregations of redemption are preaching through the book of Mark, and today we land on Mark chapter 10. So you picked a great week to come as we talk about divorce and uh, remarriage. Welcome. Have a great day today. Uh, it's going to be a light one, an easy one, very encouraging. Um, and so I'm hoping to, uh, to really uh, hear God's heart and intention for this. Um, I want to start with a story, not one in which I'm very proud of, but uh, one in which kind of shares my heart in approaching this text. Uh, when I was young, I was young at one point in my life, uh, knew everything, knew everything, I, I thought I knew everything. Uh, how many of you have been young and thought you knew everything? A few of you, okay. And, uh, and, and at that place, I, I, I really felt like I was God's, you know, kind of all-star position. You know, I knew, I knew a lot and hadn't done anything wrong or at least hid my sin pretty well. Um, and I went to Bible school to pursue ministry. Perfect, ripe, you know, all-star position. You know, this guy, he's good. He should be a preacher. And so I went to Bible school, and I met my uh, wife there. And when I met my wife, this is how the story went down. Not one I'm very proud of, and uh, not one I hope you implement. But I, uh, I was young and, and, and beautiful and had a lot of women who were, who were after me. I, I don't know what it is. I've let myself go since. But it's just, a, I put a picture on Facebook. I don't know. It, yeah, there it is. Wearing a tie, dreaming and everything, you know. And I met my wife. I walked in to get a job at Spaghetti Warehouse. And, uh, and I, I, uh, I saw her walking down the aisle, right, as a waitress. She was working there. And then the whole reason I went there to get a job just kind of flew out the window. I, I really, the way I remember it is everything slowed down. I started hearing R&B beats, you know. Uh, she's walking. And I'm like, oh, yeah. You know, it was... It was over with. I, I mean, just everything was there. It was there was light, and she was just in a uniform for 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 Spaghetti Warehouse. And I walked up and started talking to her, and 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 you know, confident me, I'm standing there, and she start we start talking, and she asks me, "Who who are you?" You know, and I said, "Aaron Daly." Obviously, everybody knows Aaron Daly. You know, uh, Aaron Daly. Haven't you heard? You know, I'm here, ready to take over. And she said, well, oh, I've heard of you. And I'm like, of course you have, you know. 
my roommate, he, she, she's in love with you. Of course, all the ladies love Aaron Daly, you know. And she's in love with you. And I said, well, who's your roommate? I won't say her name just to, it's going to go out online. I don't want that to happen. <laughs> roommate, she loves you. She wants to marry you. And, and me, this was my pickup line, right? This is what I said and not one I'm very proud of. I said with all the, the pride and self-righteousness I could rise up within me, I said, well, I could never marry her. She said, well, why? I said, well, because she's not a virgin. Now, not many laughs on that one. That's okay. It wasn't funny. I said, she's not a virgin. And Dana said immediately, well, then you could never marry me. I said, why? She said, well, I'm not a virgin. And I said, well, this was my pickup line. Well, the Lord could change my heart. (laughs) It was a real solid conviction I had, you know, real solid conviction that I was standing on, and the minute I saw her, I, that conviction went out the window, you know. Um, and I think what, what you'll end up seeing, hopefully, through the preaching today is I, 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 there is deep, deep conviction. But I'm not here to make self-righteous statements to you. I'm not here to say, I could never, or I would never, or you could never. I'm, I'm not here to make statements that come out of a self-righteous heart. But I, I really want you to see God's heart and intention. And when you see God's heart and intention, here's going to be hopefully all of our responses in here. When we see God's heart and intention, you'll start to feel this weight of, I haven't lived up to this. I haven't lived this out. I haven't walked this out. This is not my story, and this is not true. Even if I am still married, there's a ton of brokenness there, and there's things that have taken place. I haven't lived out God's heart and intention. And by the end of this message, as we feel the weight of our sin and our brokenness and the devastation of that, my hope is that we see the gospel shining through as the greatest hope that we have. You see, what you can tell about the text that I'm about to read is going to be very, very clear and unmistakable. And I'm not ashamed to preach this text. That's that's not the case. I'm not ashamed to preach it, and I'm not ashamed of what it says. And not only am I not ashamed of it, I believe that in this text there is life, there is hope, there is joy, there there is peace. There's all the things that you need pertaining to life. I I believe that in this text, you could find great joy. But the worry that I have is not based upon the truth of Scripture. My, My worry or the weight that I carry is based upon me as your pastor knowing you. And knowing the situations that you've been through. And knowing the situations I've walked with you through. And knowing uh, all the, 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 the things that you've faced. And, and the brokenness of relationships and marriage and divorce. I've been there. I've walked with you through this. And this is where the struggle comes. I know what God's word says. I, I know where God's heart is in this. But I have a, uh, a concern for you, church that you will take your circumstance, your story, your situation, and, and try to make God fit into it. Verses 
seeing God's heart and God's intention and God's word as beautiful and true. And I know there's going to be some in this room who have rebellious hearts. And when I say rebellious hearts, they're going to hear a message like this. And no matter how good of a job or bad of a job I do, it doesn't matter. Um, they're going to say, God doesn't understand. And because he doesn't understand, I can't have anything to do with a God who would say something like this. I'm also concerned for very legalistic people who would take this and make a bunch of rules and make a bunch of statements and inside of that, miss God's heart. I'm also concerned for those who have faced the brokenness of divorce and faced the pain and agony of it, whether you're a child who's seen your parents go through it, whether you are facing one yourself or have already been involved with one. I'm concerned for those who are going to feel the pain of condemnation, the pain of sin, and run to their own self-pity rather than to the cross. So my concern is not rooted in what is God's heart and intention in this. My concern is for you, church. And so the reason why I set it up that way is because I desperately want you to hear God's heart in this and hear his intention. And then with anything that is conflicting in your life, with anything that is confronting this, with any sins that you have committed or sins that have been committed against you, if there is any inconsistency in this, which all of us will find ourselves falling short, but if there is any inconsistency in this, that we do not try and make God fit into our story, but we desperately want to submit and surrender our lives to him. And seek his grace. Let's stand together as we read Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. The reason why we stand is because we want this to be separated from the time of me just blabbering away. I want you to know this is God's word. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond Jordan. And the crowds gathered to him, and again, as was the custom, he taught them. And the Pharisees came up and in order to test him asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered and said, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send it her way. And to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter, and he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another, commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Here's what I want you to see. Everything in Mark as we've been studying is building up to this moment where 
the kingdom of God is now moving into this kind of missionary focus. What does it look like to live in the kingdom of God? Because from the beginning of Mark, Jesus has been announcing that he is king, he's the Messiah, and here's what his kingdom is like. And all the way through the book of Mark, through healings, through teachings, through confrontations, he's constantly showing the world, his disciples, the people around what his kingdom is like. And it doesn't take very long to realize that who Jesus is as Messiah did not fit into who they thought Jesus would be or who the Messiah would be. So they rejected him. They didn't think he was king. And not only did they reject him as king, who, how the kingdom functions and the way the kingdom operates is contrary to all the things and all the kingdoms of this world. So it was constantly rubbing against their system and the way they operated and the things that took place. And so this is just another example of these Pharisees who are teachers of the law. They know the law. They know it inside and out. They know what it says And so they're using it to try to disprove and try to test and try to prove that Jesus is not the Messiah and that he is not God and he is not the king and his kingdom is wrong and upside down. And so what we see, and I want you to write this down, uh, and we'll try to put these up on the screen so uh, so you can follow along, is what you see in this is that Pharisees are proud to know the laws of God, all along missing the intention of God's heart. The Pharisees are proud to know the laws of God, all along missing the intention of God's heart. Here's what I mean. Look in verse 3. Verse 3 says they asked Jesus this question to test him. They're not wanting God's heart. They're not wanting to learn. They're not wanting to realize that he is king and the Messiah. They're putting him to the test. They want to trap him. They already know what they think. They already know what they believe that the the law says. And so Jesus responds. He answers. I love that the Bible says Jesus answers by asking another question. I love that. Jesus often does this. People ask him questions, and he answers by asking them a question. And he asks the Pharisees, well, what did Moses say? I mean, they studied the law. They knew the word. They knew the laws of God, and so they just went back right with it. Okay, I know this answer. And what do they say? They say, well, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. You see, this was a typical view of divorce and a typical taught view of divorce and they're quoting Deuteronomy 24. So they're asking, Jesus asked them back, well, what did Moses say? And they had a typical contractual view of of divorce. So here's how they viewed it, that if you got into a relationship that was viewed as contractual and if a man notice the lopsidedness of this if a man ever found a reason that he didn't like the woman he could write her a certificate of divorce and send her away these are the most moral religious teachers of the time they're the ones who everyone looks up to but the reality of this is they had found a way to send away any wife that would not 
live up to what they want. There's stories of if the man thought she wasn't beautiful enough, he could just send her away. If a man didn't like a meal that she cooked, you, that, that is true. When you start studying through this, they could send them away and divorce them. Divorce was so easy, but it was so lopsided. It was a man's world. And a man could send the woman away for whatever reason he wanted. You see, they knew the law of Deuteronomy 24, but they didn't know the heart of Deuteronomy 24. They only knew what Deuteronomy 24 said. And why did Moses write Deuteronomy 24? Why did he write that law? Well, Deuteronomy 24 was a response from Moses to the wickedness of the hearts of the people and in order to to make it harder for divorce to take place, he made it so a man would have to write a certificate. Here's basically what's happening. He's married to a woman and he has all this power and and he's leading and he's this domination taking place, all these kinds of things that's happening in that culture and they're just sending their wives away for whatever reason and they didn't even have to have a reason or a certificate. They would just say, go away. Now can you imagine all the shame, all the brokenness, all the, they're not covered, they're just out in society they can't go back home now they're outcast and these these wives are just sent out of the home with no protection no covering this and so what is Moses doing he's writing a law to make it difficult for them to have divorces and here's what the Pharisees are doing they're taking a law that made it more difficult to have a divorce and they said, Moses said we can have a divorce. You notice that? They're taking the law that was given as a concession, was given in response to the hardness of their hearts. Jesus says that. It was given as a response to the hardness of their heart. It was given as a response to their sins. They're taking a law and thinking, well, that must be God's intention for divorce. They're making it God's heart. Here's here's what you have to understand. The law is not meant to reveal God's heart and intention. The law is given to reveal our sin and our brokenness and our need. And so when we think we dive into the laws and we get a real study of what is God telling me I have to do and what is this that I can do and can't do and I really dive into kind of the the laws that are given and we think we're getting at the heart of God, the reality is we're trying to find loopholes and justifications for our sin. Notice, Jesus asked them, what did Moses say? And then they give the answer of Deuteronomy 24. And then Jesus responds with a pretty hard word. He says, and I'm going to make these two statements and then I'm going to try to to clarify them. He says this, divorce is a result of sin and rebellion. And just making that statement Everything in me as a pastor wants to try to soften it. But the truth of what Jesus speaks in this 
is so powerful and so true, and we're going to find out why this needs to be true at the end of this, but divorce is a result of sin and rebellion. He said divorce was given, that law was given as a response to the hardness of your heart. This next statement I want you to write down too. The law was given as a concession, not as a display of God's intention. So the reason why Moses wrote that law was a concession. It was a, you are divorcing and you are sinning and you have hard hearts and you are walking in rebellion and wickedness to him. And so Moses writes a law to try and protect culture, the community, the women. It was a protection. This is a hard statement to make, but here's what I want to try and do, because as a pastor, I've walked through multiple situations, and some of them end in uh, restoration, and some of them have ended in divorce, and I've seen the pain and the brokenness and all that, and at some point, as people are walking through this, there's a common question that comes up. And although I understand the question, I hope you'll understand my heart in the statement that I'm going to make. There's a lot of people who begin to see that this this marriage is not going in a direction of restoration. Their patience is running out, and, and maybe they have all the reasons in the world. Believe me, there's so many justifications and reasons. And they start asking, do I have biblical reason to be divorced? That's a hard question for me to answer Because in answering that question, I would have to say, the Bible wants you to divorce. When I don't think there's any biblical, godly reason to divorce, divorce is always a result of sin. Now, I'm not saying it's always sin on both parts, although I think there is sin on both parts, but it may be overwhelming one side. There's unrepentant sin, and all these things are taking place, but divorce is a result of sin, not a result of God's heart and intention. And so what you see Jesus do here, he asks them a question and they go back to Moses and he answers it by going back to creation. He goes, you can go back to the law, I'll go back when I created all things, right? (laughs) Why? Because in order to teach on the heart and intention of God, he's not going to teach us how to fly a plane by teaching us how to do a crash landing. He's not going to give us a battle plan by focusing on how we're going to retreat. That's not, that's not what's taking place here, right? You don't go up into a plane and go, hey, let's spend a lot of time on how to do a crash landing. Yes, I'm sure a part of training is going, if this thing starts going down, let's, let's crash this thing, right? But most of your training is not focused on learning to crash well. You want to learn to fly. When you go into battle, you're not coming up with a plan of retreat. You're going, no, we're going into this battle. We're going to learn to fight this battle that's before us, and we're not going to make up these concessions that come along are not intention. They're concessions. 
And this is what you see Jesus doing. What he does to answer this is takes them far beyond Moses' concession of the law to kind of corral the hardness of their hearts, but he takes them back to creation and God's intention. This is what God is and has done and why he's given us marriage. And what do we see Jesus showing? Do we see Jesus trying to give answers for divorce? No, the way he answers it is by displaying and showing the beauty of the covenant of marriage. The reason why this is hard for us is because when we start seeing the beauty and the display of the covenant of marriage, we start looking at our owns and going, oh, this is, this is too beautiful. I don't know if I can do this. And we start settling for concessions rather than wanting to know and live in and follow the heart of God. So what does Jesus show? First, in verses 6 through 9, Jesus came to show God's heart and restore his people back to his created intention. What did Jesus come to do? Give more laws or to restore his people back to his created purpose? He didn't come to give more laws. All the laws that they had could never corral the hardness of their hearts. And Jesus did not come to add more laws, right? What he did is show his heart. And you see this in the way they do it. When people start talking about murder and he goes, well, thou shalt not murder. He goes, well, the heart of that is not just thou shalt not murder. When you hate your brother, you've murdered. Not just the heart of thou shalt not commit adultery. He goes, when you lust after another woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. What is he doing? He's not just letting it rest at the, at the law level. He's digging down to the heart. And this is another one of those. This is another one of those. Let Jesus has come, his kingdom has come, not to just lay on us more laws, but to restore us as his people back to his created intention. So what does he do? He shows us a couple things. First is this. God made man and woman. This is a very controversial statement in this context. <laughs> Here is an extremely misogynistic, dominating worldview that men and their view of women, they're the ones who divorce, they're the ones who send the woman away. And here's what Jesus is saying, God made man and woman. And even in this text, talks about how women can divorce, this was unheard of. What he's doing is showing that men and women have been created in the image and likeness of God, different but equal image bearers of God. He shows that there is this uniqueness to being a man. Here's a, here's a rough statement in our day and a uniqueness to being a woman. This is going to ruffle some feathers and I don't even have to say why, but God is the one who created your gender. He is the Lord over your gender. He is the one who has made us uniquely male and female. He is the Lord of gender. Look at this, the uniqueness of that. The next thing he shows us is that he is the one who creates covenant. God is the one who makes covenant. That male and female, he made them and they should, and the man should leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. 
Jesus shows them that marriage is God-ordained union between a man and a woman. It is a God-ordained union between a man and a woman. God is the God of marriage. He is the one who created it. He is the one who invented it. He is the one who gave it its purpose and value. And God is a God of covenant. And it is a covenant of companionship. Notice what he says. It's not good for man to be alone. So he creates for him a suitable helper. And that at the core, at the core of marriage is companionship to becoming one. This companionship that is made is created by God and why is that companionship made because God is a God of companionship three in one created in this community and relationship to reflect himself he put us in covenant in companionship that this relationship who we are and this relationship of marriage is a God ordained thing The next thing we see is this. Jesus shows them that the covenant takes two and makes them one. What this shows us is that a covenant is a powerful thing. I got to tell this story to illustrate it because to me it's the best example. Hans came over to watch Ezra and some of the kids. Hans, if you don't know him, he's one of the members of the church. He is mostly in the sound booth when he's here in the first service. But he came to watch our kids when he didn't have his own kids. You know, he come over and help us out. We have so many of you who have helped us in that way. And so you know our kids are amazing, right? And at three years old, he comes to watch. This was years ago. This had to be six years ago. He comes to watch Ezra and the kids. And Ezra, if you don't know him, he is the most amazing, smart kid. And since that age, you could start seeing this kid get stuff on another level, right? And he goes, we're making meals and Dana and I are running them through. Here's what you need to do, Hans. And Ezra goes, Hans, can you take applesauce and make it back into an apple? (laughs) And Hans kind of just passively just goes, no, Ezra. And he goes, that's right, Hans. That's called irreversible change. And I could not stop laughing. I could, I was like, this kid's three years old. First of all, I've never heard the word irreversible change in my life. And I am cracking up. I'm Hans, where did you get this? And I go, Ezra, where did you learn this? And just nonchalantly, he goes, oh, Sid the science kid. (laughs) And if you, if you hear what he just said there, you could begin to understand what Jesus is saying in there. Can you take one and make it back into two? No. When two become one, they become a whole nother thing. It's a covenant in which they take, God takes two and in some way makes them a whole different thing. He makes them one and it's irreversible change. That's the power of covenant. 
that the two have become one. And what he's trying to show through this is God's heart and intention in that covenant. And the reason this is so important to us is because what we need to want and to need to know and what we really need to desire more than anything is not concessions for our sins, but we need Jesus to restore us back to the heart of God. We need to know his heart and intention. Two, man and woman created the image and likeness of God. A God-ordained marriage of covenant to reflect him. And this is irreversible covenant that cannot be changed. And then when Jesus goes away with his disciples, uh, just like the disciples do, they're like, that was, that was a good word, Jesus. Could you uh, kind of give us a little more on that? <laughs> Can you unfold that a little more? That was pretty rough, you know. And Jesus makes another really tough statement. And he talks about how if divorce takes place, that that divorce is one in which when remarried causes adultery. Adultery is committed. Now there's places in scripture, and this is important for us to know, but here's what I want you to understand, is as I start to make these, it's an unending pit. Because immediately, where our minds start to go is, I need to know God's laws, and I need to understand his laws, so that I can follow them perfectly. In Matthew, when Jesus makes this same statement, he says, with a caveat, he says, except for sexual immorality or adultery. 1 Corinthians, Paul quotes this text in Mark chapter, uh, Mark chapter 10, and he quotes the text in Matthew, and he talks about how it's adultery. But then in, in 1 Corinthians 7, he starts to talk about this newfound relationship with Christ is going to cause unequally yoked people, and that as a follower of Christ, you should do everything that is in your power to stay within the marriage, everything within your power. But if they want to leave you because of your covenant with God you should let them go so there are more concessions even in the New Testament but hear me on this concessions are not the point of this text and everything in me wants to bring relief to you by giving you more concessions. But here is why I will not and refuse to not go down that path. Because I don't think concessions to the gospel are going to give you any hope or relief. They'll only point you to finding your righteousness in laws and concessions. Church, I know that divorce happens. I know that divorce happens. And many of you in this room have faced divorce, caused divorce, been victims to divorce. And as I'm talking about this, my pastoral heart wants to sit down with you and pray with you and walk with you and, and see you healed and point you to the gospel 
And so here's what I'm asking you to do. Instead of you begging for me to give you practical kind of advice and whether or not you are right in your divorce and and whether or not you did the right things or didn't do the right things, I, I pray that we would be content as the body of Christ to say, Lord, show us the beauty of covenant. Show us the beauty of marriage because here's what happens. When people see divorce and the brokenness of it, kids who've been in divorce situations or families that have been through it, here's what they end up doing. They end up looking at marriage and calling it evil and calling it wicked and calling it impossible. They end up demonizing the gift from God. Why? Because they look at God's gift through sinful, wicked scopes. Listen, church, there are so many resources and so many ways to help, but primarily, here's what I would ask. If you have faced any sort of divorce or walked through it and are wondering, should I remarry? Did my div- what should I do? All these things. Don't seek relief in concessions come and seek brothers and sisters let's pray together let's cry out to God together for healing and hope and restoration and the writing of a new story let's let's seek him together and I encourage you to surround yourself with help instead of to isolate yourself and say nobody understands me church God's given us a gift of his spirit and he's given us a gift of community to walk through these things together. And here's what I would say. Don't isolate yourself. So the question comes to this. Pastor, if you're not going to give me concessions or not me, if this text is not going to give me concessions, but it's going to point me to the heart of Christ for marriage, and it's going to point me to God's plan and purpose in the restoration of that. If it's not going to give me hope in laws and in loopholes and in self-justification, where am I going to find relief from this guilt? Jesus. Why? Ephesians chapter 5 31 through 33 says this, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, this is sounding familiar, right? And hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one. The two shall become one. A man should leave, hold fast, and the two shall become one. And then it says in verse 32, this mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as he loves himself and let his wife see to it that he respects her husband. Listen to what Paul says. Here, let me make this statement. This mystery is profound. He should leave his father and mother, should hold fast to his wife, and the two shall be made one. And this mystery is profound. And what he's saying is it's about Christ and the church. But love your wife, submit to your husband. Notice what Paul says in this as he's writing to the church of Ephesus. Notice what he says in this. He's saying the whole marriage thing that we've been talking about is actually not about you. It's about Jesus and the church. The whole heart and intention of covenant, the whole leaving and cleaving and becoming one is not about you. It's about Christ and the church, and we have a tendency 
to just swim in the shallow puddles of our own self-righteousness and judgmentalness and our circumstances and all we want is just something here rather than diving into the depths of the heart and intention that this solid covenant cannot waver not because marriage is at stake but because the gospel is at stake. That's why. Because if you start giving concessions on breaking covenant, then you start giving God concessions on breaking covenant with you. You want him to get out of the... You want him to have reason to divorce? You've given him plenty of reasons. You want to give him reasons to walk away from loving you and committing him whole self to you? Who is it that really left his father and really clinged to his bride and really made us one with him, irrevocably one, irreversible change, that if I'm not one with Christ, I have no hope, church. My only hope lies in the fact that God is a God of covenant where he would leave out of love and cling and make me one with him and hold true to the fact that it's not based upon my works, but it's based upon his undying, unwavering, unremovable, unseparable love for me, that it is that covenant that holds me. And listen, when you start hearing that gospel, you don't start begging for concessions. You don't start asking for him to give reasons why he can back out of this thing. You want this to be true. You don't want to have have a way out. Why? Because if this gospel is not true, he has every reason to divorce me. I have sinned so wickedly against him. Talk about adultery. I've sinned. If I've cheated on anybody, it's been God. I've worshiped other things. I've followed my own desires. I've walked away. He didn't let me go. His love pursued me, grabbed a hold of me. He left his father. And he came and clinged to me and he made me one with him. Now everything that is true about Jesus is true about me. I've taken on his name. I've been brought into an unshakable covenant and at the bottom of all of the gospel is this reality that God is a God of covenant and if that's not true, we have no hope, church. So once we start focusing on the sinful concessions and once we start giving our reasons out, it's not just an attack on the covenant of husband and wife. It's an attack on the gospel. When that becomes true, you can see why all throughout Scripture, 1 Corinthians, Matthew, Mark, wherever it talks about divorce, It makes this really powerful statement. And Romans 12, I think, sums it up extremely well. As far as it depends on you as the Christian, as far as it depends on you, 
stay in it. And there are times where they're not repented and there are times where they will abandon you and there are times where they will leave you and there are times that they will walk away. But as far as it depends on you, keep your eyes on Jesus, remind yourself of the covenant and stay. Why? Not because they're perfect. Not because they get it. Not because they're not sinful. Not because they've earned your grace, but because you've received and been benefit, you've been a benefactor of that kind of covenant. Lord, I pray that today that our hearts would be overwhelmed not by our sin, but by the truth of the gospel. God, I am I am not standing in this pulpit trying to just make statements about divorces or give or give just concessions. God, what I really want is to see these people that you've placed in my care. I want them to know your heart, God. And I know that there's many in this room that I've had the, the privilege to walk through deep, painful times in their lives. I've seen them broken. I've seen them crying. I've seen the pain of divorce, ravishing families and relationships. I've seen all these things. I've cried those tears. I've, I've wept with them. I've watched the thing fall apart, and I've watched you heal and restore. I've also watched rebellious and wicked and hard-hearted people throw your covenant aside, throw marriage aside, toss people aside. I've seen so much pain. And Lord, I pray that today they would run to you. Those who need healing, they would run to you. Those who need to repent because of how they have trampled on and hurt and not shown love, I pray that they would run to you today, that they'd cling to you, that they would repent and find their only hope in the fact that you are loving and you are good. God, I pray that those who feel outcast because of their sin would hear the echoes of the gospel coming through, that you are, you are loved, that you could be forgiven and restored and that those who are in marriages that are really struggling those who are in marriages that are really fighting and wondering whether they should get a divorce God would you send your spirit would you bind their hearts together would they keep their eyes fixed upon you rather than on each other trying to find reasons in, the, in their others Father how to stay in it God give them your eyes give them your heart let them serve and love and 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 see your hand at work in their life. For those who have already divorced or walked away and those who have, have hardened their hearts, God, I pray that today their hearts would be softened and that they would see that you are a God of restoration. You are the one who can come and heal and forgive and restore. And they would find all of that at this table as they partake of your body and blood and that they would find in you all that they need. Church, we open up these tables because we know how much we need 
the cross. We need his, pra- his, pi- his price paid for us. We need our debt to be paid. We need his work, his hand, his restoration in our lives. We need his spirit. And so we come to this table hungry and thirsty. And listen, church, if you're not in covenant with Jesus, if you haven't surrendered your life to him and it's not true about you, then don't come to the table. We would never want you to do something that's not true about you. But for those of us who realize the only hope we have is His power, His Spirit, His work, then let's come to this table hungry. Let's come to this table repentant. Let's come to this table crying out for His healing and restoration, exposing our hearts and sinfulness and brokenness before Him, asking for His help. Church, let's come to this table with humble hearts. The table is open. This is a time of prayer and worship and reflection. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.